Welcome to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. I'm Adam Motenko. My co-hosts with me today, Josh Motenko, my twin brother. That's right. All three of us on the pod for the first time in a while. It's good to be back. And Mike Minkoff. Gentlemen, this uh, I'm feeling a little uh, seasick after after the last few weeks of Celtics games. I don't know about you guys, but uh, you know, just when I th- think see- things can't get any worse, they do. And just when I give up, the team puts on a you know a clinic and and blows out the neck. So same old, same old. Am I allowed? In, in short, as a podcaster, as a Celtics podcaster, am I allowed to say that I I don't really want to watch this team anymore? Like, is that? Uh... I don't know. I feel like I'm not supposed to say that, but yeah, I got seasick a while ago, Mike. I, I got off the boat. I don't. I don't like. It's hard to watch this team. I don't have the same motivation. Yeah, nobody wants to hear you talk about that on the podcast. No, I mean, <laughs> well, no, I mean, this team, this team is eminently frustrating, and that's kind of that's kind of what this this episode is gonna is gonna touch on because I think I think there have been two major uh, threads that uh, that have been emerging around that the team's up and down play one has been you know all manner of trade chatter um to the point where you know jalen brown's getting asked about whether he and jason tatum can play together um and and (laughs) kendrick perkins is calling out uh is is, you know raising up jalen brown's great performance while uh, calling out how lackluster jason tatum was and tatum had to respond via a tweet and Tatum's mother had to respond via a tweet. So there's a trade chatter. And then on the other hand, there's a lot of, a lot of frustration and discontentedness around Ime Udoka and, and some of the rotation choices and lineup choices he's making. So, I mean, I, I think, I don't know if people, I don't, I don't know if you're supposed to say that you're, you've given up and, and, and don't want to watch Adam, but I also don't think that's a, that's an uncommon sentiment or among Celtics fans these days. I haven't given up. It's just rough. It is tough because the 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 other narrative is this team continues to be what it's been for over a year and a half, two years now, which is wildly inconsistent. Some nights they look like they're the a, a number three seed in the East and someone who could go a couple rounds in the playoffs and maybe maybe if everything bounces right. Uh, make a run through the conference finals into the finals potentially. Uh, and then other games, they look like uh, not even a playoff team. Uh, and the home t- home and home against New York against the Knicks was a great example microcosm of that. Uh, so we'll see what happens with Indiana. We are recording this as the first game in Indiana is happening. Uh, Mike, let's, let's get into um, some of the, that trade chatter. Shams Sharania came out saying the season tend to build around the Jays, I believe. There's no information behind this, but I believe that was, that is a response probably uh, leaked by the Celtics because there's been so much Jalen Brown chatter. But let me kick it to you, Mike. Well, wait, hang on real quick. The, just so we all are clear, Shams is always taking information from agents. Shams doesn't get information from front offices. If they're gonna, if the front office wants to leak something, they're gonna leak it through Woj because Woj is the one who tweets about uh, the, you know, directly front office information. So anything Shams is saying, it's from agents. So what? What agent is telling him that what a team is doing related to Brown? Would that be Brown's agent? I'm not sure. Like, uh, but who I, else I just, would would give that information? I just know that that Shams is connected to the agents, the yeah. players themselves. That's so right. I mean, maybe it's Tatum and Brown specifically, you know, trying to leak that information because they're tired of hearing that they can't play together, which they probably believe yeah. they can. Go ahead, Mike. Well, whoever the source is, you know, as with all reporting that you get on NBA leaks, there's obviously some agenda behind who's leaking the information and, right. and why it's coming out now. Regardless, um, I do believe this is, you know, functionally true. And in that, look, if the Celtics got some obscene offer for either uh, Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, they would trade either of them. But it would have to be a a true kind of no-brainer blockbuster type offer, Um, you know, like Jalen for Luka or something insane like that. 
Um, but short of that, I, I believe this rumor to be to to be generally true. And mm-hmm. I think it's important. And and you know, the first thing I wanted uh, to know when I saw this is is I wanted to get your reactions because you know I I was I was on a a, a much needed vacation around this time last month, uh, taking some time in Mexico. And you two, uh, in my absence, had a nice a nice trade pod that coincided with the December fifteenth um, kind of kind of uh, deadline or or what have you ben- benchmark period where um, most uh, free agent signees from the off season were again eligible to be traded. And I listened to that trade idea, and each of you had no shortage of trades that included. Uh, either Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, and now with one with one more month of um, nausea-inducing uh, play from the Celtics, have either of you adjusted your stance, Adam? I would say my my interpretation was you leaned more towards trading Jalen. Uh, Josh, you very explicitly said you leaned more towards trading Tatum. Yeah. Have I would has has have either of your stances changed in the last month, or would you still prefer the Celtics move in a direction that breaks those two up? You know, from playing video games with me, that uh, I take a fantasy general manager's approach to thinking about trades, which is like, yeah, trade them all. I mean, when I saw, I I, I like thinking about the the marketplace. I like looking at the valuation of of draft picks and how they fluctuate. Um, so when I saw what Oklahoma City is doing, and um, I can't remember the other team, uh, just New Orleans? compiling this New Orleans, yeah, this vast, vast amount of of trade ass, uh, of draft assets, I started thinking, if that's what they're getting for Harden and, and other players, what could we get for each of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum? And would we have a better shot in the future of winning a championship? Because that's what I'm into. Uh, of trading those guys uh, for draft capital, and that's a ridiculous way to go about this. Obviously, right. that is not that's not what's going to happen. I should not be the general manager of the Celtics, and uh, in reality, I don't see them trading either of them. the The best shot they have to be successful is likely to keep them, and that creates a risk that I know that Mike, you've been talking about of having them leave for nothing. And it's just a really hard thing to to balance and manage and plan for. Uh, but you still have two young, two-way, really talented wings. They both have the potential to improve. And and this team is not playing well with them right now. And and you're just kind of in between a rock and a hard place. That and and the team was set up, the roster was set up this way by Danny Ainge and by letting players like Gordon Hayward and others go. Uh, without getting anything back for them it's been it's been tough josh yeah that was that whole podcast was a fun thought experiment based on the the hypothetical if we were going to trade one of them which one would we trade um and i opt for trading tatum i think that he's the the head of the snake the soft snake that we have um and i think that it i i mean i'm i said on the pod i'd rather not trade either of them um, but it's always fun to think about trade ideas, especially as the Celtics are playing poorly. But I haven't changed at all in the last month or so. I'm I'm still not interested in trading either of them, uh, but I'd love to talk about trade ideas. And yeah, Mike, well, I just want to jump so... in and say, uh, let me just say, Mike, I know that Brad Stevens was on the radio recently basically saying, we have a, we're, we're not interested in trading Brown or Tatum, but this we have a lot uh, of change that needs to happen with this team and that and in that shams report everybody else is on the market and so that makes people think okay so marcus smart um rob williams all uh, al horford all these guys are potentially on the block i still don't think we're trading rob williams it's actually difficult to trade him unless he's included in a bigger deal i i don't think we're trading marcus smart unless we get a really Great opportunity, but yep. I, and then the rest of the players on the roster, I think we value more than any other team, and so it's really going to be hard to trade them for that reason. I don't expect much to happen at this trade deadline. Uh, I would hope that so, we trade Schroeder, and maybe we'll get rid of a couple of other marginal players. 
but I don't think we're trading any of the young guys and I don't think we're trading Al Horford. I just, I don't think much is going to happen. I, I'm not sure that we're not trading any of the young guys. I, I don't know that I agree with you there. Um, so, but, and, and I'll, I'll touch on a couple of trades that include some of the young guys. Um, I, I just have a couple of trades here and then I've got some like loose concepts where I wasn't able to put anything together. Cause I also don't think we're going to trade Marcus smart and I don't want us to trade Marcus smart. Um, I don't think we're going to trade Rob Williams and I definitely don't want us to trade him. Um, I've gone back and forth, uh, on how I feel about Al Horford. Um, and I'll talk about that a little bit later, but so I've got, I've got two main trades that I put together here. And, and basically this is just cause I was jealous that you guys got to do a whole trade podcast without me. And I, yeah. I wanted to get a little bit in on the fun. Um, and I'm asking you guys to evaluate these trades at, by answering these three questions. First, would you do it? Then do you think the other team involved would do it? And ultimately, do you think the C's would do it? So would you do it? Would the other team do it? Would the C's do it? Mm-hmm. All right. So trade one is, and, and both of these kind of touch on things that you spoke about in your trade pod, um, but aren't identical to anything you guys had put together. So one, with Portland, we give up Romeo Langford and Wancho Hernan Gomez. And I think we could do this with adding a second and not having to do like a protected first, which to me would be too steep. For, as you said on that pod, Adam, uh, my longtime uh, favorite to clamor for, uh, Larry Nance Jr. So Romeo Langford, Wancho, and a second for Larry Nance Jr. Remind us about Larry Nance Jr.'s contract. So after this season, Larry Nance has one year remaining at about $9.7 million. And then he becomes an unrestricted free agent. This season, he makes just shy of $10.7 million. I want to hear from Josh first. I would do it. Um, I like Larry Nance Jr. He's really injury prone, and that's my biggest concern with him. But I have for a long time been saying that we need a four-man who's a little bit bigger than Tatum to get the toughness and rebounding responsibilities off of Tatum's shoulders so he can focus on what he does best and learning to facilitate. Um, and someone who's a ball mover and can, can hit some open shots. And I think Larry Nance fits all of those at the position of need. Uh, we would have to give up Romeo Lankford to do that. And uh, I think at this point in time, I'm interested in that trade. Yeah. What, do you think Romeo would do like it? Two more years, right? Romeo, I believe only has Romeo. I believe only has one year left after this season as well. And then, but he's restricted. Okay. But then he's restricted. Exactly. Um, so I, I think that I don't know why Portland would do that. I think that Nance is the best player in the deal. I think it's pretty clear. Um, I think if they're trying to, I mean, it's a cheaper contract. Juancho is up at the end of the year, right? So I think they'd be getting off that money if I'm correct about that. So I, I don't know why I Portland so. would do it. Um, and I, and I don't know why the C's wouldn't. I would do it, but I'm really on the fence about it. Cause I don't, I don't think the Celtics are going to be good this year. And I don't um, know why you add Larry Nance Jr. This year, if that's the case, I don't think he's going to make you, uh, he's going to make the difference. And I think Romeo has potential that is untapped. I think Romeo could be better than Larry Nance Jr. Late in his career. If I'm Portland, uh, they should do it because I think that, Romeo has that potential and I don't know why they would wow. We're in even worse shape than we are. Um, but uh, look, Portland is a mess as I talked about on that trade podcast. So who knows what they want to do, uh, whether they want to try and, and keep Dame and CJ and satisfy them or not. I have no, no idea. Um, I think the C's would definitely do it. And if Dame or CJ get split up in any way, then it's, I mean, you're either trading one of them for another star, which I think is unlikely, or you're trading them for picks and you're rebuilding. And then at that point, you're trying to get rid of contracts like Larry Nance uh, and trying to get younger. So, yeah. And I'm guessing, I guess, I'm guessing Portland does not do it. I'm guessing they keep Dame and CJ and they, and they keep Nance. I, I would, I would do this if I were the Celtics. I would do it if I were me. Um, if Portland, 
balked, I might try to do a, a heavily protected, like very heavily protected first round pick um, that would convey into like two seconds in a future draft yep. instead of just a single second round pick. Um, and then, and then go, you know, and that would be my final offer to Portland. I think they'd have to think about it for the reasons that you said, Adam. Um, I, I, and the reason why I would do it, even though I agree that Romeo's got potential though, I don't know. I, I just can't tell at this point how much potential that is. Um, he doesn't seem like he doesn't, seem to play with a fire that separates him at the NBA level. Um, and I can't, I can't tell if that's because of opportunity or just because of, you know, he's got a laid back vibe and that's actually kind of how he is. I, I can't tell. Um, Romeo. Romeo. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've got some comments on that. If you want to finish yours. Yeah. I mean, I'll just, I'll, I'm just, I was just going to say, I would do the trade despite his potential um, because I think while I agree we're not going anywhere this year, I think we go further and, and have a better chance of kind of putting something coherent together for the remainder of the season with Nance over Romeo. I also think Nance fits in positionally better on our team. He's bigger than Romeo. He can he can be like a actual like kind of four or five guy um, that gives us an alternative to Grant in that role. Um, and Grant has been great. I, I've really liked how Grant has been playing but it would be nice to have more depth there um and so i to me that's a worthwhile trade-off and then we'd have nance going into next season as well uh go ahead josh on your romeo comments yeah i I just i'm frustrated by romeo right now i feel like his laid-back attitude is translating to lack of assertiveness in certain situations like when one of our two stars doesn't have it or is not even playing and romeo's playing more than 10 minutes a game he can't have zero shots. I mean, that's that's happened in the last three weeks, and there's just moments throughout the game where I feel like I'm watching him, and he's and he's just not taking advantage of certain opportunities to attack or to take shots or to assert himself and be a threat on offense. You know, he's just so passive sometimes. Um, that's been more and more frustrating for me as this year has gone on. I just want to say about Romeo. I, I... I'm okay with it. I just I feel like that's kind of the part of the growth curve for young players, and I would have loved to have seen this two years ago, but he just hasn't gotten the opportunity. So this is me getting back on my soap soapbox, saying play the young guys more. Let's develop them. This team does not do that. And regarding this trade, I, I this is a great example of what I was saying earlier that I just don't think Portland is going to look at Romeo and see the potential that he has. Um, because the Celtics haven't developed him, so they won't. He has more value to us than he does to to any other team, and most of that's true of most of the young guys because they just don't. Yeah, know. no, I I agree, but it, we're not. I mean, we're not getting a ton. We're giving up additional with that second round pick or a, a highly protected first with two two seconds if it doesn't convey uh, to offset that difference in value and and recognition that Romeo's value is limited, but he does have potential and he does have NBA skills. So, um, anyway, so I would, so what I would say, uh, what I would say, Mike, then is, is let's take Romeo out of the deal and would, uh, Portland do it for just the, the protected first, the, the, the salaries wouldn't work. Ah, wait, are you, were you including a first round pick in the deal, Mike? I would, uh, my original deal included a second round pick, right. Romeo and Wancho. Um, if, if Portland like absolutely wouldn't do that, I would consider doing an extremely highly protected, like top 28 protected first round pick, which the Celtics aren't going to be a finals team. Right. So, um, and then if they, then it, if it doesn't convey, uh, that, or if it does, yeah, if it doesn't convey, then it would convert into two second round picks in future drafts something like that. Like that's the most I would do. Yeah. The first round pick makes that deal off the table for me. And we're not giving up any more first round picks. If I'm bald, even, even if it's a like 29 or 30. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. So second, second trade. So that was, that was the first trade. Second trade I have. Um, this is a guy, Josh, that you brought up as, as part of this trade. And then a guy you guys talked about in the other uh, show, but 
didn't bring into any trade. So this is Boston and Houston for Eric Gordon and, and Jayshon Tate. We trade Aaron Neesmith, Romeo Langford, Dennis Schroeder, uh, and Wancho Hernan Gomez. And again, try to try to go, go with a second or two seconds, but we might again have to have a, a, a well-protected first, probably not as highly protected first as the other trade. And Eric Gordon, who has technically three years left on his contract, but the last or two, sorry, two years after this year, after, at about 18 million a year. Um, but the the second of those is not guaranteed, fully non-guaranteed. And and Jay Shantate has a team option next year, and he's already 26. I didn't realize he was that old. Yeah, and he only makes like 1.6 million though. I would do that deal again. I feel like Neesmith and it was Lankford in that, right? Neesmith, yep. Lankford, Schroeder, and Huancho. Yeah, so Neesmith and Lankford are the Wancho's only ones just I, I want to keep. At this point. <laughs> yep. Neesmith and Romeo are the only ones I want to keep of that deal. Uh, and so I, I, again, feel like the value is marginal to the other team. Can we just keep those guys and give them additional trade assets? that I think are going to have well, more value again, to them. Sa- but I, I like that deal. I would do that deal. Salaries have to work. Uh, again, uh, Gordon makes $18 million, so you have to get up there. Um, so we have to find $6 million somewhere uh, from our, yep. our contracts. And they, it has to be $6 million that's marginally appealing to Houston. I think they would rather take a flyer on young guys um, than Josh while Richardson. also getting two guys, two guys on expiring deals, and Josh Richardson, and I'm still, I, I, despite every everything about how the Celtics play, I still stand by what I said whenever we last talked about Richardson. Like he's been good for us. I wouldn't want to just get rid of him. Well, that's the reason he would have some value to somebody else. It's interesting that both of these trades might, but go not Houston, improving not Houston, the team, I don't feel like. improving the team short term. Yeah, uh, I, so I would well, do that deal. I think Houston uh, does not do that deal because I think they like. I think they can get something better for Jay Sean Tate. Uh, depends on the on the draft assets that we include, um, and I think the C's would do it. Yeah, I would do that deal in a heartbeat. Um, even though I love Neesmith and Romeo, I feel like getting Eric Gordon is going to be someone who the guys on our team trust more than Neesmith to hit that shot in the corner when the ball gets swung around. Like right I now, mean, Neesmith I, and isn't I do, even playing. So I wouldn't know, blame our guys for trusting Eric Gordon more, to be fair. And, right. and that's not taking anything away from Neesmith. I mean, just Gordon has proven it and is shooting 44% from three this year. Yeah. And, you know, when that ball gets swung around to Schroeder, it's not a good, it's not a good situation. So, uh, you know, but two, three years from now, when Neesmith is better than Eric Gordon, I think, that we're going to look back on it and and wonder whether it was the right thing to do, but I would do it easily. And, and Jay Sean Tate is the number one reason why I'm probably his biggest fan. I think that he'd be perfect for our team specifically. And, you know, Eric Gordon is just ready to knock down shots if he's able to get on the court because he's often injured too. So Mike, uh, my question back to you is how come you want to trade for guys with such injury concerns like Larry Nance and Eric Gordon? <laughs> It's a fair question, probably because I haven't rooted for them uh, on the Celtics yet. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's, it's probably the best answer I can offer. Yeah, nice. I'm sure it would drive me insane instantly. Because what this team really needs is less roster uh, stability than it already has. <laughs> um, could we feel no, the better fair, team? That's fair, Josh. Could we feel the better team of injury-prone players than none with, with all those trades? I think yes. <laughs> Rob Williams. <laughs> yeah. Does Jay is Jalen injury prone? I no. don't I don't know that he is yet. No, yeah, no. so no. so probably probably if if Jason and Jalen are still on the non injury prone side, uh, they're, they're going to be tough to beat. I think. Um, so those were I mean the only other things I kind of was looking at uh, conceptually is I'm I'm still curious about Sacramento. Um, there was a report out, I think, t- earlier today. I forget who had tweeted it um, or, or where it originated, but that now 
Sacramento might be open to moving either Fox or Halliburton in the right deal. And if Halliburton was on the table, I'd be very interested. Yep. Um, and and potentially interested in that, like something w- where Halliburton and and uh, Harrison Barnes were involved. Then I, there might be a, con- a construction there where Smart got involved. Though I would loathe to move <laughs> Marcus Smart. <laughs> Oh, Smart has to be involved. I thought you were going to say Jalen Brown. I, I know. No, 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 no. I, There's I was, no uh, way Sacramento does a deal without. No, I know. I know. I know. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm aware. So, and then like there were there were a number of things I looked at for Al Horford. I was, but when I really thought about it, because he's been frustrating me, and this is uh, this is going to segue into our next, um, our next kind of discussion area. Like I, I. You know, I've gone back and forth, Josh. I, at times, I've been like, Josh was totally right about Horford. He's just been, you know, less productive than he used to be, and he's not really been a positive. But he has been good as long as he doesn't play too many minutes, and as long as he's not paired in the bad in bad lineups. And so, I actually like Al Horford on this team. I just want less of him in in better in a better rotation. And so that brings brings me to to kind of email what what's that what's that sigh adam Ugh, i'm just like are we talking rotations or email first like the that's the rotations yeah can we can we stop playing um rob williams and, and al horford together can right. we get some grant williams in there a little bit more and bring horford off the bench like can we can we stop playing ennis Cantor because right. we're we're bringing horford off the bench what, what is going on Right, Horford should be our backup center to Rob Williams. He'd be better in that role that resolves the bad lineups issue that Mike brought up. And I think Horford also had a little bit of a honeymoon period where everyone was really excited that he was back because he's such a good locker room guy and and he is one of the few ball movers we have on the team. So, yeah, I think we're all in agreement with that. So we can just kind of move forward and talk about Ime instead of the rotation. He was so fresh. He was so fresh in the beginning of the year. I think that was another big piece of it, Josh. And and yeah, I'm fine with it. Took with the whole Horford. year off. I like him year. on this team. The the only the there's only two reasons I can think of to keep him in the starting lineup. First, it's like out of respect, and second <laughs> is his trade value. But I don't think they're going to trade him. And like at this point, let's let's do what the team needs to to win some games here. Adam, why are you so sure that we're not going to trade him? Isn't his contract kind of perfectly set up to be traded mid season because? He's got like a whole other piece of salary that comes in the second half of the year. No, it so so he next, his no. salary next year is is partially guaranteed. So fourteen and a half million of his like twenty eight ish million dollar salary is guaranteed next year. Um, so he's got to cut him to get he's, that. He's got to cut savings. him to get that savings. Yeah, oh, he's okay. he's quasi like makes him a bit more tradable, but not not like super easy to trade or like a super valuable asset for a, for a team looking to shed salary to receive. Um, he, he's got and that's partly because on that front. Not many teams want to shed salary. There's going to be, there's very few free agents out there. Most teams are, are looking to make moves through, through trades. Um, just, that's just the way salaries that are going these days. And so, and, and then you have to find a team that actually wants a veteran. That, that Horford would be good on. The team that I can think of is Golden State. Uh, but they look great right now. And their assets, they're not trading any of their important assets. Yeah, they're they're not trading their young guys. No. No way. And you need to match salary for him. So the only way Horford really gets traded that I can see is if we're landing some big contract guy. Right. And okay. uh, I don't see that happening. Yeah, I mean, I was considering like a, a trade around... Um, Goran Dragic, who's just been kind of put on ice up in, in Toronto, and Kem Birch for Horford. I thought I thought there might be something there. Yeah. Uh, and then if, especially if we moved, did you say yuck? Yeah, that's like we're getting yeah. even older. Yeah, well that that's why that's why I was like, all right. Um, and the team, another team that I actually think would really like Horford, uh, but I don't see any viable trades with them is Chicago because Horford. You know, I think where Horford's value is greatest is against Embiid and against Giannis. Right. 
And so a team that is looking for someone that they can put on both of those guys in a playoff run um, that doesn't have a, a good option there, like Chicago is a perfect example of that to me. And and I think they'd love to get Horford to kind of bring off the bench and, and use in, in those types of playoff series. I just don't. I mean, huh. unless they're for some absurd reason looking to move off of Lonzo or Caruso, no. which I, I'm sure they're not, but sign me up if they are. Um, yeah, I just it didn't seem practical to me. So I kind of well, gave up on the Horford, trading Horford. The other team that I think would benefit from an Al Horford is someone who doesn't have any good ball movers and needs a couple like lower tier ball movers who are just solid, like a Marcus Smart or Al Horford in Boston with the Celtics. I think actually he's right where he's supposed to be. We just need to use him properly. So, so we've got that rotation issue. I likewise, yeah, would like to see Grant Williams starting. Um, I'd like to see much less Ennis Cantor and. Our, our bigs just taking care of. I'd love to see no more um, Marcus Smart and, and Dennis Schroeder together. Yep. You know, there, there's a lot of, a lot of questionable lineup choices that have been made. Um, and, and I think, you know, there, as, as the Celtics have struggled of late, this, the, the kind of voices have gotten louder about, Ime Udoka's decisions, um, especially as the Celtics are trying to close out games in the fourth quarter where they've uh, struggled horrifically, um, kind of defying the odds and and what regular kind of luck and statistics would suggest. And at the same time, you know, we had that first game uh, of the home and home against the Knicks where we completely collapsed down the stretch. You know, we had led by 25 points early in the game in the second quarter and the Knicks came back and won on a ridiculous bank shot from uh, RJ Barrett. And then Udoka comes out and just lambasts the team um, and talks about their lack of kind of uh, mental toughness and a lack of accountability. And, and again. he took some heat for, for that con- again. And he took some heat for that comments uh, because there was, there was no kind of pointing the finger at himself, which was a huge departure from Brad Stevens' approach, where he basically always said, you know, that was, I didn't do a good enough job getting the team prepared. Um, and I thought, you know, I, I personally thought when I saw that kind of reaction, I thought there was a lot of validity to that and that Udoka probably could have had a bit more humility and uh, self-accountability. Uh, but Adam Spinella had a really interesting article on, on Celtics blog uh, coming out in defense of uh, Ime, and it's called In Defense of Coach Udoka, um, where he talks about how everything in his observation as a fellow coach that Udoka has done has been done in the spirit of of uh, cultivating and, and really um, trying to enforce the players taking accountability and ownership of the team, the success of the team, the effectiveness of the team and the application of winning basketball within the team. Um, and I kind of wanted to hear from you guys, you know, Josh, you're, you're a fellow coach. What do you think of, of all of this? What do you think of Udoka's rotations and then the way he's talking about his team's performance after games. And then this kind of defensive Udoka presented by, by Adam Spinella. Yeah, part of the reason why Udoka is playing veterans like Al Horford in the starting lineup alongside Rob Williams, it's about trust or not playing Neesmith and Pritchard and Romeo as much as he's playing Josh Richardson and Schroeder. He's playing veterans, right? He's giving our better players all the tools and the experience out there on the court to kind of have no excuses. And he's telling the team the same things he's telling the media, which is very rare in this day and age. You know, you're not supposed to be honest about what the players are doing wrong to the media. You're supposed to be political about it and sugarcoat things and protect guys. And I love the fact that he's telling it like it is. He's doing it in a calm, you know, direct way. And uh, everything he's saying is true. It's all the things that we're seeing on the court. Like we're seeing, it's not like, 
Like maybe you could do that with a fan base that knows less about the game. Uh, I won't name any, any, any cities, but um, I feel like in Boston, like the fans see the same things, you know, and, and we're all expecting and shouting the same things that Udoka is, is echoing. Um, and I think it's refreshing to have a coach who does that. You know, we can all argue with, well, maybe he should play the young guys more or, you know, but at the end of the day, he's doing the, you know, in that way, he's doing the tried and true coach thing where he's, he's both giving the best players, the veterans and the experience on the court. And he's putting the guys in who he should be able to trust more than young players and, and making the young guys work for it. So to me, I, I actually applaud Udoka. I think he's doing a fine job so far. Yeah, there's some mistakes that he's making as a rookie. Um, and even if he is alienating people a little bit, he's telling them the truth. And that's one thing as a player and as a coach, like you have meetings with your players where you tell them, you know, can you handle the truth? Do you want to know the truth? Because, you know, in certain programs, they're going to tell you the truth. In other programs, they're going to tell you exactly what you want to hear to try to keep you happy. And then you won't get any better. You won't break any bad habits. Um, so I th- actually think that this is the way to break the habits that we're seeing over and over and over again. And we're just dealing with young stars who have yet to figure that out yet. I loved this article. I thought Coach Spins did such a great job. Makes me want to have him back on the podcast to talk more about it. Uh, I agree with basically everything that Josh just said. I've been calling Udoka honest Ime. I love the way he is with the media. I was getting a little bit concerned about um, players potentially getting war that, that like this this repeated theme of accountability with the players that that might wear thin with players. But this article from Adam Spinella um, shifted that a little bit for me in in that. Uh, As as Spinella said, it's actually as Udoka said, it was quoted in there. This is their team. We don't control them. Uh, there's like this autonomy with direction. Udoka's taking this approach of the players need to figure it out on their own and lead themselves. I can direct them. I can push them in certain directions, but I can't play the game for them. Um, and so they need to be held accountable and they need to have their own autonomy. And I think that's what players want. When I think about what players in this day and age will thrive in it's that kind of autonomy with direction atmosphere there's the old school yelling and screaming micromanaging like i'm going to draw the play and you run it that's not going to fly and i think that will actually wear thin really quickly it appears through the media when (laughs) otoka calls the team out in the way that he has which if you actually watch and listen is totally reasonable and totally in line with everything the players are saying, but then you get media blowing it out of proportion. And when it's on, uh, when a Tim Bontemps article is on ESPN, um, of like their top 10 articles for two days in a row about Udoka blasting the team, that can create a whole media firestorm that then creates its own problem. Um, and so, and, and that then requires, uh, some, um, grit and, and, uh, perspective taking by players, which is usually harder to do when you're younger. Um, so I have some concerns about that, but this is the right thing for the team. And I love what Udoka is doing. And as Spinella says, changing a team process and a con- competitive spirit and a whole systemic structure and culture takes longer than 40 games. So let's give Udoka some some rope here with that. So I, I agree with both of you. Um, I think, and, and, and Spinella also hits on this, but, but I do think it's fair to sim- simultaneously agree with kind of all of those aspects of Udoka's approach, but still think, I mean, Josh, I, I agree. You, you said that um, Udoka is playing the veterans a, a, as a matter of trust. I would say one place where, you know, Stevens, what I liked is that he, he, early in the season gave people a bit longer of a leash to develop that trust. I think there's a fine line between how Stevens did it, which involved like having a, a 11 to 12 man rotation forever, uh, which was frustrating as well versus what Udoka's done, which is kind of such a closed nine man rotation that 
there's just I don't even know when the young guys will would have opportunity to um to break into the rotation or or what they you know what possibility they would ever have to kind of separate themselves from already established veterans. So that part of Udoka's approach has has been a bit unfortunate, but I do like that you know there is kind of a whole different cultural approach being taken or philosophical approach being taken by Udoka to to try to cultivate a new mindset and and culture within the team um, and an ownership by the players on these performances and a recognition that if they don't kind of perform on the court, you know, no one's no one's going to bail them out. They they have to deliver. The other concern I have is is uh, is Boston and just the fan base and how quick to be critical we are. Uh, that is concerning to me, and and I think that makes it more difficult for for progress to be made. We're just not patient. Yeah, the the Celtics fans because they know so much and 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 they're as aggressive as they are. You know, we put pressure on the players, and so in this kind of an atmosphere with that type of coaching, now you've got loss after loss after loss, and we're getting to see the, what resiliency really looks like with Tatum and Brown specifically. Um, I think I think I've got a hot take for this team, guys. I feel like this leads right into it. The losing is actually good. All right, let me explain. Um, I think that learning for these guys i've said this before on the pod but learning is not a linear thing it's it's steps right and so all of a sudden guys will will the light will turn on and guys will figure figure it out um i think that we've yet to see that with brown and tatum and we've definitely yet to see that with both of them together uh figuring out how to close games how to facilitate uh, all that right but I don't think that they're the types of players who are selfish and not trying to figure it out. I think we can actively see them trying to figure it out. You know, Every time Tatum has a game where he gets to the free throw line 10 times or he has 10 assists, we see that. We see, oh, wait, he's actually trying. Like He's, he's throwing that skip pass that got picked off, but he threw the skip pass. Right? He, he drove to penetrate to pass. That's something that, um, that I think that we need to see more of, obviously. But overall, I think the more that they lose, it's that's actually going to cause them to learn. Like that is the impetus for them to figure it out, is being tired of the losing. Eventually, that is going to be the catalyst for them. And uh, if, if you'll indulge me a little bit, I think that this team, I mean, this team was a 53-win team a year or two ago. Um, so this is a, a potential contender. Obviously, they're not looking like one right now. But I think that if you threw a third good player on this team, all of a sudden we'd be, at least on this podcast, we'd be talking about this team as a potential contender again. And I think that we missed a big opportunity last year in the draft. It was the deepest draft, in my opinion, in 15, 20 years. Um, and it had the one the one skill set and position of need, which is ball movers with size who are switchable on on defense and and can play the perimeter um and so we kind of missed out with that you know whether it was guys in the beginning of the draft uh who went really high like mobley and barnes and even like guys like franz wagner and and josh giddy like we saw that they are turning out to be some of the better ball movers and and perimeter defenders and in the league um team players at that position but then we missed guys like Shangun or Jalen Johnson, or even if you look deeper in the second round, guys that I had ranked, you know, in the top twenty: Herb Jones, Jeremiah Robinson, Earl, even like a, a guard like Ayo Desunmu. Like those are guys that we we would love to have on this team right now, but we had no pick. We traded it away. All right. I think that this team, if we continue to lose, I think that ending the year on a on a really sour losing note is going to be a huge catalyst for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum in the off season. And I think that they would potentially come back next year regrouped and, and kind of ready to, to actually put into practice what they had been thinking about all year long, which is, am I, am I a loser? Is this really who I am? Am I someone who can't figure this out? You know, I don't think that they're the types of guys who are just like, all right, I'm asking for a trade. I'm jumping ship. Get me out of Boston. There's too much pressure. I think they're more like, 
you know, apt to stick together and to, to actually figure it out. And I think that there's a potential blessing in the losses here if we can get a high draft pick or have or get at least high enough to be able to package together Rob Williams or Smart with whatever draft pick we have to move up to get one of the top picks. Because there's guys in, in this upcoming draft, Chet Holmgren, Paolo Boncaro, Bonchero, however you pronounce it, Jabari Smith, all those guys are bigs who can shoot and play the perimeter and defend, but they're also all averaging over two assists a game at, at like the power forward position or center position even, if you consider Holmgren a center. Um, and then there's also guys who are solid ball movers at like pick 10, 11, 12, where we would potentially end up. Um, guys like Dyson Daniels or Nikola Jovic or even like Darian Sebrin from NC State. Like there's guys who can move the ball a little bit and, and play that position. There's also some legit point guards if we wanted to upgrade that position a little bit like Ty Ty Washington. So I think the draft is actually more important than we realize it was last year. And there's not as many um, options for what we're looking for in this year's draft as there was last year, but there are enough that I think we need to consider the losing as actually being a good thing, both for the draft capital and for what it could potentially do for the hunger and, and uh, learning process for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. What do you think of that hot take? So that was that was a roller coaster uh, for me for me, Josh. Um, I started frustrated by your take, though not necessarily for the reason you might expect. I was I'm frustrated because I had been thinking the same thing about the losing actually being probably good for Jalen and Jason, and I'm frustrated that you said it first. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you. Uh, I got to be honest, you lost me a little bit. Um, I, I, I didn't, I didn't necessarily agree when you, with, with some of the kind of thinking around connecting that to the draft. So I'm going to, I'm going to focus just on kind of the, the, the pieces you, you talked about specifically with, um, with Jason and Jalen, but I, you know, these are guys who, and, and, and Tatum touched on this with his comments a few days ago, right after the, after the first Knicks game, after that loss, but where he kind of waxed nostalgic, he's like, man, I thought, I thought you just kind of always ended up in the Eastern conference finals. Like I thought that was normal. Right. And now, you know, I'm kind of longing for those days. He's talking like a 10 year vet. He's 23. <laughs> um, and, and Jalen had similar success, right? These guys were always making deep playoff runs or all certainly on teams always expected to go. And they just, uh, they never really faced adversity and they always had guys there who really had the brunt of the expectations on their shoulders. Um, and, and kind of everything they were doing was just like, um, it was, it was just icing on, on the cake, right? Like that whole playoff run where Tatum and Brown and Rogier um, we're kind of led, led our run deep into the playoffs with Horford on the team and uh, Hayward injured. Um, that was all no expectations. No, no, you know, that they were playing loose and free because no one thought they were going to succeed. They're, they're relatively new into actually, you know, Jason and Jalen are relatively new to being the guys where the success or failure of the team the finger gets pointed specifically to them and they are, they're 23 and 25, I think, right. They're just very, very young and learning, learning how to win. And the warriors had to learn how to win. I looked it up a, a few, like last week, I think Steph, his first three seasons, the warriors won like 23, 26, 27 games, like something in that range. Um, you know, the, you have to learn how to win before you can elevate to superstardom. So I fully agree, Josh, with the premise that this losing and this adversity and, and Jalen talked about it as well um, is really good for them. And it's something that they have had to go through. It's what really hammers home. As you said, Josh, it's an impetus for learning and ha growing out of some of these entrenched bad habits. Cause they're like, man, we just are not a good basketball team. If I'm playing like this, and these are the type of guys that got where they got because they they 
believe they hold themselves a certain way. They believe themselves to be a certain caliber of, of player in the league. Um, and they're, they're going to work at the level they need to work on the things they need to work on to improve and, and become the winners that they think themselves, or they're at least going to try, as you said, Josh. So I fully agree with that part. Um, what do you, what do you think, Adam? Well, I'm upset, Mike, because of your take for the same reasons that you were upset that you stole my thunder with Jason Tatum's comments. Josh, did you know that Tatum made those comments? Is that where this is coming from? No, this isn't coming from that. Okay. But you were aware of them. Yeah. It's, I mean, watching Tatum say those things, uh, it's, it's not surprising that one could take a leap to, to your hot take. Uh, time will tell. Uh, so I, I don't have a ton to add to what you guys have already said. Time will tell whether, whether that's the case or not. And I just hope that, that, that you're right, Josh, that they figure it out and that they want to apply what they've learned here. Cause Brown's got two more years after this one. And as a front office, Brad Stevens and, and company need to make a decision about whether they think Brown is going to resign here. Uh, is the team good enough to to take that risk next year or the year after? And uh, if you lose them for nothing, what what do you do then? So it's and that's a really really difficult situation to be in. When so if this team is mediocre again next year and we haven't traded Jalen Brown in the off season, you really have to start thinking about it. And and it starts to become almost too late, which I know Mike is why you've been uh, exploring that idea so much thus far even yeah, though it's I, unlikely to happen I, and i've maintained all like i have no interest in even in considering trading jalen before next trade deadline and i only trade him next day trade deadline or or look seriously at it then and when i say next trade deadline i mean not this season but next seasons um i only look at it then if we continue to be middling or worse right like uh, over the next basically full a full season's worth of games between now and then i just uh, at a certain at a certain point you that flight risk is is terrifying but i do believe in these guys i i think they're of tremendous character and and tremendous work ethic and obviously tremendous talent so uh if we know we're going to have them both re-signing after their current deals i wouldn't move them for anything it, it yeah, just I just want to say if either of them could leave and we get nothing, then we're in real trouble. Those are our, our guys. We're we're riding with them. And nobody else, no ball mover we add is going to completely change the way that they play. It's not gonna like Larry Nance Jr., uh Eric Gordon, uh even Jay if Sean we were Tate. to get uh yeah, who but like even if we were to get um uh Mike Spinky uh the now injured uh rubio no the guy the guy that ricky rubio like the the type of guy we would need to change this team like would be someone like chris paul which obviously we're not going to get i'm just like he's the type of that guy that comes in and creates just everything makes is easier and makes more sense for everybody else on his team a Jokic, which obviously won't be available it has to be a guy that's, that's as good or better than those guys than, than Brown or Tatum. And so without yeah. that, and we're not, we're not getting that. So without that, it's really up to Brown and Tatum to figure out how to be uh, culture leaders, uh, ball movement leaders, uh, how to create that. And, and that's, we just have to be patient with that. Well, I don't think we have another choice. Let me remind you that like pick number six in the draft has a nine or Slot number six in the draft has a nine percent chance of getting the number one overall pick in the lottery balls. Pick number one, two, and three each have a fourteen percent chance. So there's only a five percent difference in it, you know pick number six and pick number one um, when you're when you're talking about lottery day. And the more I watch this team struggle and end up losing and end up blowing leads, the more my brain starts to think about well, what's the silver lining here? And there's five examples that I have in the last 40 years of teams that, you know, could be considered contenders getting a top pick and, and continuing the dynasty. Um, so let me go through those real quick. Example number one is the San Antonio Spurs when they landed Tim Duncan, right? The year before that was Popovich's first year. They started the year 
losing 13 out of 15 games. Brian Hill was the coach. Popovich was the GM then. And Popovich dismissed Brian Hill, put himself in as the coach. Um, David Robinson was struggling with back and foot issues. He only played six games all year. Then they had issues to, or injuries to Sean Elliott and Chuck Person. And all of a sudden, you know, Dominic Wilkins, post Celtics and post his year in Greece, is their leading scorer at 18 points per game. And, and they're basically tanking without trying to just from injuries um and then you know as celtics fans who were around then i'll remember we had the highest odds to get the number one pick but the spurs got the pick and got tim duncan the rest is history right so wait the josh second, wait 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 so wait uh, what do you say what's the how does that relate to the celtics this relates to the celtics because i think that there's a chance for us to continue to lose and get a high draft pick or get into a position where we can trade the you know number seven or eight pick if we end up there along with uh, a player or two like Smart or Rob Williams and, and then move up into the top four or five. Um, I think that the more we lose, the, the more likely we are to be a potential contender who can get a high draft pick here like some of these other teams. So, I mean, the Detroit Pistons is another example where they had the number two pick. They took Darko instead of Carmelo Anthony. And Darko sat the bench as they won the championship in 2004. Um, and similar to the Spurs example, this happened recently with the Warriors. Golden State Warriors, they traded D'Angelo Russell to Minnesota for Andrew Wiggins and his max contract. And the draft picks, that would become James Wiseman and Jonathan Kaminga. So, I mean, had they drafted LaMelo Ball and friend Franz Wagner instead of Wiseman and Kaminga, you know, who knows what they would look like right now as they are you know, continue to be one of the better teams in the league. Uh, but this happened with the Celtics twice already. Example number four, Boston Celtics in 1980 when uh, they got McHale. Bird had already turned the franchise around with 61 wins. Um, Red Auerbach made the trade of aging Bob McAdoo to the Pistons for ML Carr and a first-round pick. But the Pistons finished 16-66, and 66, and the Celtics suddenly had a 50% coin flip chance of the number one pick. Um, Frank Layden called heads instead of tails, I think it was. And, and all of a sudden we end up with a number one pick, which we traded for Robert Parrish and the number three pick, Kevin McHale. And then it happened. We were a 53 win team in 2017 when we added Jason Tatum with the Markel Fultz trade. So I think that this is where my brain goes, Adam, when you started the pod saying that you were frustrated with this team, you could barely watch them. Um, I'm in the same boat with you, but I'm starting to look at, well, what is the silver lining of all this losing? And to me, it's a learning opportunity for our two young stars and the chance to get a high draft pick, which um, I was, you know, I'm, I'm always into the draft and who's available. And I think that there's some guys in this draft who could be that potential team glue guy ball mover at a high position you know at a, at a power forward or center position to be to be switchable on defense and to kind of be that key that unlocks everything um and and to me that's the silver lining of all this losing okay so here's my question with all of that because because i agree and that's partly why i'm like let's the season we're not we're not making noise in the playoffs let's develop let's basically play for next year that's partly what you're talking about but in order to do that you got to trade josh richardson you got to trade dennis schroeder you got to play pritchard neesmith and um romeo big bigger minutes and and play through these growing pains uh and lose more uh ime odoka is playing the players he trusts so so and you said earlier you talked about that earlier josh so how do you reconcile that with what you're describing here I think even with Josh Richardson, even with Dennis Schroeder, even with, I mean, this, the players, the coach, and the front office are not interested in tanking. That's not going to happen with this team. And neither am I. But as of right now, even with the way we're playing with these veterans, we're the 11th worst team in the league. I mean, we'll have, we'll have the 11th draft pick as of right now. So, and there's not that much difference, you know, with us in Atlanta, Portland, Sacramento, and Indiana, and San Antonio below us. I mean, all of a sudden we could be, you know, with the fifth or sixth draft pick, just by by how we're playing inconsistently right now. I don't think we're bad enough. I think we need to create... <laughs> I think Brad Stevens needs to trade away just enough players to make us bad enough to do what you're talking about. Well, I, I, I think we might just be bad enough. 
<laughs> I think, I mean, I, I think we're, we're obviously playing at a, at a rate that can get us into the lottery. Um, like if, if that happens, I would much prefer that we are trying to win and end up there. I think we'll still have the same silver lining of Jalen and Jason looking in the mirror and being like, all right, I got to develop some different habits. Uh, I think we also at the same time uh, increase the risk of, you know, one of them deciding that this isn't the place that they want to be for their next contract. So it's a, it's a bit of a dangerous game. Um, I do think Josh, you know, I think it's far more likely and I, could to, unless we get a truly like great great player like in the top probably five ish of the the draft and you know the draft better than me for sure um but you know someone the equivalent equivalent of like evan mobley or scotty barnes who can come in and and really affect winning immediately um you know and affect winning for a team seeking with like championship type aspirations immediately and there's just not a lot of rookies that do that i think it would be more likely we'd look to move that pick if it was if it was you know let's say between six and 12 or something uh we'd look to move that pick for um a third a third star-ish player to to pair with jalen and jason so that would be that would be my prediction, which I think would kind of frustrate you, <laughs> would be my guess, because you'd be sad to watch another talented young player go away. And I have no doubt that it would be a good player, uh, but I bet I, I just feel like it wouldn't be on the right timeline. And it also would speak to what Adam just asked, which is certainly as a rookie head coach, Udoka doesn't seem particularly inclined to play young players uh, and, and far more inclined to lean on his vets. Yeah, I think because we keep getting the number 15 and 16 pick, I think there's good reason for Udoka not to play young guys. But if, if you're getting a top 10 pick, I think that changes a little bit. Uh, if you're getting a top four pick, four or five in this draft, you can get one of those game changers. Yeah, well, that's what I, that I agree with. Yeah, there, I, everything I've seen. I mean, Holmgren, I'm so, I'm so fascinated by. <laughs> I mean, that's Evan Mobley right there, is Chet Holmgren. They're Just, very similar. Uh, yeah, in, in wow. Uh, okay, what's his I, name? I body. <laughs> yeah, with offense, less defense. I mean, I, I think they're very similar players. I think, I think he's underwhelming a little bit at Gonzaga, but if you watched the, the under nineteen championships, I think that Holmgren showed that he was the best player on the entire American squad, or in any of the games that he played. Um, Wembanyama, the French seven-four kid, is you know he and Chet Holmgren were the two best players in the entire tournament, and I think Holmgren showed savvy and basketball IQ, you know, beyond his years. With I mean, he's averaging three point three shot blocks a game at at the college level right now, so you know he can defend, he can guard the perimeter, he can pass, he can handle, he can shoot. I mean, he's just kind of a guy who does a little bit of everything. Doesn't that sound like Evan Mobley? I think Evan Mobley's a uh, much more versatile and much better defender. I think of Holmgren as a bit more of a an offensive player who can also block some shots and and move well defensively. But I don't, I can't tell yet how good he's going to be defensively. But I haven't watched enough of him in college yet. Uh, Claire, yeah. Clearly, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to hit this on our uh, on our <laughs> la- later to be scheduled draft deep dive. Uh, yeah, because there, if you were still watching over there. If you're still listening, you definitely have Celtics pride because I, I mean this definitely got a little dry towards the end talking about players that I that Josh was very obviously making up names of, of college players <laughs> in the draft this year and uh, talking about teams from from 30 years ago and and how they got to get a high draft jo- pick. Jo- Josh is um, still just bitter that that uh, he's carrying Patino's water. That jo- that's Josh's secret source. And uh, the, you know, <laughs> bitter that the Celtics didn't end up with Tim Duncan. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm, still I'm definitely bitter. When Josh started talking yeah. about percentages of for draft picks, it took me right back to Tim Duncan. Uh, so if you're if you're too young to know, just be glad it's it's not quite the Red Sox of of the the 60s to 80s. But uh, for Celtics fans, at least at that point, we had a, a rough stretch there. Uh, the Celtics right now, they took a, a lead of eight into the fourth quarter and with three minutes left in overtime and a four point lead, it looks like they're going to pull this out against Indiana in the first game. 
Three uh, seconds. We can talk more about that. Yeah, three. What did I say? Three seconds in overtime. Four he point three lead. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> ah, three seconds. Thank you. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll have another game against Indiana. Uh, it doesn't <laughs> look to be any different uh, this season than than what the Celtics have done so far. Then the C's continue a road trip um, at Indiana and then at Philadelphia. That should be a tough game because it always is against Philadelphia before coming home to host Chicago, which will also be a tough game before hosting New Orleans in a uh, 12:30 matinee on Martin Luther King Day. Please continue listening, rate, review, subscribe, follow us at, on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod, individually at Coach Motenko or at Mike Minkoff NBA. I'm not on Twitter. Thanks again for listening. Mm-hmm.